Hello, and welcome to Connect, Collaborate, Champion, the podcast of the New American Colleges and Universities, a network of private institutions providing an education that integrates the liberal arts, professional studies, and civic engagement. I'm your host, Sean Creighton. Our podcast speaks with insightful experts about current and future issues affecting higher ed. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to part two of our conversation with David Feingold, president of Chatham University. In part one, we learned all about the new American colleges and universities. In this episode, we explore Chatham University, learn about its history, its evolution, and how David Feingold, president, is leading it into the future. David, I'm excited to have you on the NACU podcast and uh, continue our conversation. Uh, you know, I had the uh, the opportunity, the great opportunity to visit your campus recently, and, and what an impressive place, uh, not only the beauty of the campus, uh, but talent that you have there. Uh, you're doing remarkable work. And, you know, I thought maybe we could start out with uh, learning a little bit more about your background. <laughs> Tell us what your pathway was to where you are today. It's been a little bit winding. So I grew up in New York, not far from you in Terrytown, but then moved down to Houston when I was 16. My dad is a, a doctor and he got a job in the medical center down there. And so I finished up high school there, went to Harvard and majored in social studies, which was basically an opportunity to study whatever I wanted and got really interested in sort of the changing world of work and organizations but I had never been outside the U.S., so I applied for about 25 different fellowships and was fortunate and ended up getting a Rhodes. And so that let me go to England and Oxford and ended up staying to do my DPhil there, met my wife Sue there. And so that was a, a real life-changing event. It also sort of started me on a path of studying education and training systems around the world and how they relate to economic performance. And that's what I've done kind of throughout my career is, is looked at that and then in the later jobs uh, had a chance to apply that as a, as a leader within higher ed. That's terrific. Um, I guess a little side story. So not only we, were we born near one another, I uh, studied my junior year abroad at the University of Oxford <laughs> and uh, in their tutorial system, which is obviously a very unique approach to education. And uh, yeah, what a, what a powerful experience. Rarely so, get U.S. professors offering you a glass of sherry at, at a class, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I remember that. And then I'd, I'd have to read my paper out loud, like sitting in the chair across from – and then we would discuss it. And then the professor would be like, okay, so for next week, I want you to read these books and write a paper that addresses these four <laughs> questions. I'll see you in a week. But it was just a one-on-one -on -one class. I mean – that that's a, it's a very unique system. Well, let's let's turn to Chatham a little bit. Give us some history on on the university and how it's evolved over time, and, sure. and involved evolved into even a, a NACU model of education. Well, Chatham has definitely been an evolver and innovative institution throughout its history. So it was founded back in 1869 as the Pennsylvania Female College. It was the first opportunity for, for young women to get a degree in the western part of Pennsylvania in the Pittsburgh region. That's what it was for much of its history. It's gone through four name changes. So back in 1890, they decided that was a somewhat dated sounding name. So they became the Pennsylvania College for Women at the urging of faculty and students. 
And it stayed that, an undergraduate, female-focused liberal arts institution right in the heart of the nicest uh, neighborhoods of Pittsburgh through 1950s. And then it became Chatham College. And Chatham is Earl of Chatham, who was William Pitt, prime minister in Britain when Pittsburgh was founded. And so there was no direct connection. He didn't give us a big load of money. They just thought that sounded a more national name. And so it continued as an undergraduate-only women's college right up through um, the early 1990s. And in the early 70s, a lot of institutions, the Ivies, the top liberal arts institutions, went co-ed. And that resulted in a major shift for all women institutions. So at, at that time in the 70s, there were over 300. Now we're under 30 in the country. And so Chatham saw a real okay. drop in its enrollment heading in there. And so they had a kind of crisis and they were selling off buildings to keep the college going. And they hired a new leader, my predecessor, Esther Barazzoni. And the question was, were they going to go co-ed? And the board didn't want to, the students didn't want to. And so Esther proposed the way to save it without going co-ed is to add graduate programs. And so they started health science Mm -hmm. graduate degrees in the early 90s, and those really took off. They were co-ed from their start, and they eventually grew to being over 70% of the total enrollment. And so the graduate programs were thriving. They saved the university, but the female-only undergrad college was really struggling. And so as more competition, as you mentioned, more people were copying the NACU model. And so we went from being a real early mover in those grad programs. Suddenly there was a lot more competition. So they weren't growing anymore. There was more competition. And the subsidy to the undergrad college was about $5 million a year and projected to grow further. And so right before Esther retired, she led the really difficult process of the decision that Chatham really had to go co-ed or all gender at the undergraduate level. And so we did that six years ago, and I arrived just after that. So I've been here five years now, and that's been a huge success. So in in those six years, you know, we've more than doubled the size of the entering class. We've been able to improve the quality of the students, their their graduation rates, retention. And so all the indicators you'd look for have been going in the right direction. So we're really pleased with that progress. What was that transition like going co-ed? Well, I, I think Chatham did a really excellent job of it. They went around the country and benchmarked what were the leading models of institutions that had done it successfully, that had kept the values, kept the focus on gender equity, I think the argument for doing it, it wasn't just that the data that said only 2% of female high school grads want a single-sex institution, but it was also recognizing that the original rationale for being single-sex was we had to create opportunities for women to get degrees. Well, now we know women outnumber men at every level of higher ed, right? 57 to 43% for undergrads. But the challenge is there aren't enough women in elected office. There aren't enough women in the boardrooms. We don't have pay equity. And to change those things, we need men to change as well as women. And so, you know, what was interesting, because it was the institution I came from, the model that they really liked was Rutgers. And Rutgers, it was a different change. So Rutgers was the State University of New Jersey, a huge institution, over Uh 70,000 students. But one of the five undergraduate colleges at Rutgers was Douglas College, which historically had been all women. And so while I was at Rutgers, they had actually undergone the transition 
keep it as a female residential college, but integrate all of the academics. But they had kept the Women's Institute, they had kept a number of research centers devoted to these issues. And so Chatham did a similar thing. We have a Pennsylvania Center for Women in Politics that helps more women get to local, state, and federal office. We have a number one women's business center in the U.S., our Center for Women's Entrepreneurship. And we have Mm. the Women's Institute, which is leading gender equity issues in Pittsburgh. And so we've kept those values and that focus, but we now do it for students of all genders. And so that's enabled us to be a great Mm -hmm. environment Mm -hmm. for young women. We're rated number three in the country for women's leadership at the undergrad level. And the other top six institutions are all still single sex. But we also are attracting young men who see the benefits of being in an inclusive environment. Yeah. When I was on campus, I had a tour given to me by one of the students and I I asked the question, you know, how does the uh, university connect with Pittsburgh? They say, you know, here it is, you're, you're in Pittsburgh. Do they encourage you to go into the city? Do they put a big wall around the campus saying, no, don't leave campus? And she said, one of the first things I received as a student was a bus pass so that I could have all access to getting around the city and, and being engaged in it. And, and I, that was really impressive. I mean, it seemed like a small thing, gesture, a bus pass, but it, it, it was symbolic to me as an outsider to see how you reach out to the city. And maybe you could talk a little bit about Chatham's relationship with the city of Pittsburgh. Absolutely. So when we did our first strategic plan, the person we worked with, Ted Long, who had been the president at Elizabethtown and works with AGB, he said, you need to focus on your unfair advantages, right? What are the strategic things that are really hard for other places to emulate? And we really view our location, which is, you know, my office is in Andrew Mellon's old home, the the banker who sort of financed all of the major companies of Pittsburgh and who founded the National gallery in Washington, D.C. and was the treasury secretary. And so we have these beautiful old mansions. We have a gorgeous campus, which you had a chance to visit. And if anyone doesn't want to take my word for it, Netflix has a series called The Chair, starring Sandra Oh, and that was shot on our campus. So they picked us out to be their fictional elite liberal arts college. So we have this beautiful place, but we're right next to Carnegie Mellon and Pitt. And one of the great things about being here is I've been, you know, in all different major cities of the U.S. throughout my career out in L.A., in Boston, in New York and New Jersey and and those places. And I've never seen colleges and universities that cooperate as well as Pittsburgh. And so here, a student at Chatham, which is a small place, you know, we're about 2,400 students, they can take 70 foreign languages. They can take the best robotics, AI, computer science courses in the world at CMU, and it's all free. So we all exchange. Students can take classes at any of the 11 colleges and universities in Pittsburgh, and they're all really close together. So we don't give students a separate bus pass. Their student ID is a bus pass, and it's also a museum pass. So they can get Mm. for free into the cultural institutions. They can get downtown in 15 minutes. We've got the Steelers, the Penguins, you know, we've got the Pirates who are not doing as well these days, but we're we're hopeful they're building youth (laughs) talent. They can take advantage of all of that and the great outdoor stuff that we have, but in an environment that's really collegial and safe. So we think those things are, are really distinctive advantages to be in a small liberal arts campus environment, but in the heart of a great college city. Also, maybe you could talk a little bit about your focus on sustainability and some of the work going on there. And then 
you know, just how you see the institution evolving under your leadership going forward. Sure. So the, one of the other unfair advantages we talk about is around sustainability in the environment. So if you look at, you survey this generation, because unfortunately, our generation has screwed up the planet. You know, if you survey them and you ask them, what are the biggest issues you're facing? You know, over 95% say it's the environment. They know climate change is real and that we don't have a lot of time left to solve it. Well, Chatham, we're fortunate. Our most famous alum is Rachel Carson, one of the founders of the modern environmental movement through her book, Silent Spring. And so in her honor, back in 08, we were given a nearly 400 acre campus that's about 35 minutes from downtown Pittsburgh, about 40 minutes from our our other campuses. And we built that out as the greenest campus in the U.S. to be the home of the Falk School of Sustainability and Environment. So the entire campus is a living learning model of what a sustainable future could look like. It's got geothermal, solar, wind power. We just got certified to do microgrid training through the microgrids we built there. We even built our own wetlands that processes all of the the waste. We do indoor and outdoor organic farming. We do aquaponics. And so literally every bit of the farm, the forest, the, the lead platinum buildings are examples of what we need to do as a society to really tackle this problem and take advantage of the huge opportunities in building a green economy. So we really see that as something where students who want to specialize in it, they can get a great education, but a distinctive element of every Chatham graduate is that they understand the challenges as well as the opportunities we're facing. And so that will continue to be a strong part of your identity going forward. And I would imagine, as we all know, with the focus on climate change now, and it'll create more opportunity. For, for Chatham and for students to have an experience that they might not get otherwise. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the challenges for, you know, when you mentioned the NACU institutions don't compete because they mostly tend to draw regionally. Well, those of us in the parts of the country that have the steepest demographic declines that Nathan Graw was talking about, right? We've got to look for what are the reasons we can get people to travel more than a hundred miles to go to college. And so we're always looking for what's that plus one, what's that distinctive thing that would lead a student to think about us. And so for us, that's been several things. It's been sustainability in the environment. It's been student athletes. So a big part of the successful co-ed transition is we went from about 70 student athletes to over 400. We have what will likely this year be a top 20 squash team that we started three years ago. And so that gives us a chance to beat places like Georgetown and the University of North Carolina, right? We don't usually (laughs) appear in the same headline as those places. And it's also the most diverse group on campus. So it's, uh, you know, two from Pakistan, two from Egypt, one from Brazil, one from Malaysia, plus kids who were in the urban squash program, first generation kids who who are using squash as an opportunity to get a great education. And so we talk about student athletes as a distinctive thing. And then the other is the core of that unfair advantage is the NACU mindset. Over a third of our undergrads come so that they can get an accelerated path into a grad degree that they can start in their senior year. So it saves Mm -hmm. them time and money, and they get that balance of a great liberal arts experience, but they also are already on track to becoming a health science student or to get their MBA or to do creative writing. And so we really think that that combination is one that's powerful. So, you know, location, sustainability, that 
big emphasis on, on gender equity, taking advantage of Pittsburgh. We try to focus on those things that are really why would students want to come. And now our big challenge, and we're hoping Netflix will help, is just to get more people across the country to know Chatham's here because we find if they visit the campuses, then they're really likely to want to come. That's one of the characteristics of the, the NACU schools. They're very, their brands are strong regionally, but the national brand is a little weaker. And that's true of just many schools in general. Um, but the, uh, that's something we as an organization are always trying to do is to champion uh, our institutions uh, on a more national level. And well, I'm always excited to talk to you and hear your thoughts. And um, I appreciate you, know, you finding time today to share some insight on what's going on at Chatham. And I can't wait to be back on your campus. You're welcome anytime. Ohio's yeah. just one state away. That's and right. so well, I don't know if the, the Browns and Steelers will be playing this year, but you know, maybe we can catch <laughs> one together. So look forward to that. Excellent. Thanks, Dave. Thanks so much, Sean. Thanks for listening to Connect, Collaborate, Champion, the NACU podcast. As president of the New American Colleges and Universities, I'm honored to work with our network of innovative campuses and champion the belief that a comprehensive liberal, professional, and civic education is essential to the future of our world. To learn more about the NACU campuses, visit nacu.edu.